You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And yes, pure common sense and ignoring the group think here at the conservative conscience. Welcome back. This is Daniel Horowitz in the house. Monday, August 28th. It's almost two thirds of the way through the year. Unbelievable. Um, Gosh, where has this month gone? By the way, August has been the best month ever for the conservative conscience. We're just growing by leaps and bounds because yes, there is so much to talk about. I wish I could do this more often, and you know, God willing, I do hope to put out more episodes in the future, maybe more than two a week, uh, if we have time. Uh, but for now, groupthink and common sense. It's funny. I'm just thinking, you know, as you listen to that intro, nothing is governed by groupthink and devoid of common sense more than our foreign policy. Our foreign policy is just completely off kilter, and that's what I want to get to today. First, just a couple of couple of notes. I want to apologize. Uh, a week and a half ago, or maybe it was last week, a couple of episodes ago, I said that there was no conservative left in Trump's West Wing. Well, I was wrong. There was one conservative left, Sebastian Gorka. Well, now he's gone. So now there is no conservative left. And welcome to the third term of Barack Obama, certainly as it relates to foreign policy, uh, because that's what we have. We have the House, we have the Senate, And then we have an executive branch that is just divorced from the president. The president tweets, he says things, he says a lot of things that, broadly speaking, we agree with, but then his administration has nothing to do with that. And in fact, everyone in this administration is a pure leftist. So we're going to tie in a lot of that to the backwards foreign policy. I know a lot of you have given me feedback on last week's episode 141, um, with Captain Jaron Jackson, who's also running for Congress in Oklahoma. Brilliant man. Um, wow. I mean, that was just something else. Real treat. And I want to pick off from where we left. I'm just demonstrating why Afghanistan is irremediably broken, why we have no vested interest anymore, why it's not a strategic threat, and why there are so many things that are a strategic threat that we're not dealing with completely backwards. We'll get to that in a minute. You know, just first, one quick thought on Hurricane Harvey, the devastation in Texas and Houston, Rockport. You know, just thinking when you put together the solar eclipse with the hurricane, you think of how small we are as human beings, um, just how much bigger this universe is, how much greater God's ways are. Um, you know, like we say in Isaiah, our ways are as divorced from God's ways like the heavens to the earth. I mean, there, there is just, we have no idea what his plans are, and boy, are we so limited in what in our ability to stop it. Um, you look at the solar eclipse, and you see, like I said before, just a tiny moon, which is one four hundredth of the sun, is able to block out the sun, at least from our vantage point. Uh, the sun's the greatest creation. God could eclipse it in, in, in a second. Um, a hurricane could come along and just paralyze, devastate the fourth largest city in the country underwater. And, you know, 
it, it just again I I try to give some thoughts as to you know what's related to us our our uh, goal here how to think about issues from a conservative perspective because most most of you know strategy tra- tragedies I mean should not be politicized but I'm just, I just want to give a thought based on that that I think many of us have to recognize our job is not to save the world save the country that that's in God's hands like we see I mean we could plot and scheme all day long um but it's God's decrees that ultimately get get upheld our our job is to do what's right is is to use the knowledge the information the resources we have and do what's right and that that means for elected officials it's to take care of your constituents follow the constitution walk humbly in the ways of God because when it comes to such big issues Again, we have to recognize that the same way we have no control over hurricanes and you know disasters, we ultimately are not controlling geopolitical events either. Ultimately, that is also in the hands of God, um, which is why it's so important that we recognize that what we're doing on foreign policy, s- some have estimated... I've seen this before that we've spent seven to eight trillion dollars since the 1980s in the Middle East. And it is worse than ever. It's more dangerous than ever. We've gotten nothing for certainly the 6,000 lives or so lost in Afghanistan and Iraq together. Again, probably about two trillion dollars between the two countries. That doesn't include all the VA costs, all the thousands of people with missing limbs and injuries and lifetime care for the veterans all of our depleted resources all of our depleted resolve for what for what i ask it makes no sense you know as those of you who you know uh, thankfully really thankful to so many of you who turned tuned into last week's episode it will probably wind up being one of the most listened to with with jaron jackson really delving into a full hour show of how broken Afghanistan is, how it makes no sense what we're doing there. Not in our strategic interest. It's just going to get our soldiers killed, dying for this ridiculous Afghani army, which is not even an Afghani army because there is no Afghanistan. <sighs> Let me see how to present this. Now, I have an article out today that really kind of gives the case broadly. And in the coming weeks and months, I want to delve into this more with the generals. How not only do we have a broken civilian leadership structure as it relates to foreign policy, military engagements, identifying our strategic interests, balancing the risk versus return matrix of what we're doing, the military leadership is broken. Because, and I know we have a lot of veterans in the crowd, and many of you have have kids that have served as well, Um, you understand that. People like Jaron Jackson, captains, majors, lieutenant colonels, the flag officers are retiring early on at record pace because in order to get past lieutenant colonel, you pretty much have to be a leftist. As Jaron put it, more political than the politicians. I submit that the first 10 names in the telephone book could fight wars better than the current crop of generals. They could identify a strategic interest a strategic threat with a more unbiased demeanor and a more accurate perception than the current crop of generals. 
one could not possibly conjure up a more dyslexic foreign policy than what is pushed by our political class. And that includes the current political generals, both the ones still wearing the uniform and the ones that Trump has elevated to political positions. What is a threat, we ignore. What's not really a threat, we get ourselves involved in. The alliances we should make, we don't make. Those that are sworn enemies, we become allies to them. This is what we spoke about the entire year last year about Obama's foreign policy when a lot of people, both the conservative media, liberal media, were ignoring it. That is all continuing. I mean, this is why I started off the show talking about how Bannon and Gorka are out. There is no conservative left in this administration, certainly in national security. McMaster, Mattis, and Tillerson are running it. Now, I know there's a lot of reports out today. I'm sure a lot of you have have read this, that Trump is growing frustrated with Tillerson. Well, gee, someone could could have warned you about that eight months ago. But the broader question is, why did Trump hire him to begin with? Didn't he ask him one time? His, his views on the world? No. He was more interested in his resume, his, his image, oh, the CEO of ExxonMobil. This is the problem with Trump. It's his own fault. He complains about things that he does himself. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure what he wants to do with a guy like Tillerson. And then you say, all right, maybe Trump's a slow learner. I mean, we were told he's this amazing manager. You're fired. He's going to fire all these people. He's going to run it. I mean, I have never, there has never been a, a human being to occupy the Oval Office that literally has no control over the administration. Forget about the deep state. I mean, those of you who listen to the conservative conscience, you were ahead of the curve when everyone else was complaining about the deep state. We were talking here about the shallow state. It's Trump's own appointees that are undermining everything he says. So finally, he realizes, man, Tillerson's thinking like the establishment. You think? Moreover, why is Trump allowing them to then kick out all of of his loyalists? See, this is where I have no respect for him. Because he's clearly not learning from his mistakes. If you learn from his mistakes, you say, all right, you know, Tillerson, these guys, maybe it's tough to get rid of them now because you have to go through Senate confirmation. But McMaster, as we've noted, that's the the most important foreign policy position, probably more than Secretary of State, because you could overrule the Secretary of State from the White House, and it doesn't require Senate confirmation. Why not replace him? But what's more indefensible is why not replace, well, why is he replacing all of his uh, loyalists and, and the conservative, conservatives in his administration. I don't want to veer too much into domestic policy because I want to stay on track with explaining the, the just horrible foreign policy taking place that you're not reading about. But I do want to draw upon one other example of this dyslexic attitude of Trump. You know, Trump was putting out on Twitter last week how uh, McConnell and Republican leadership in Congress is undermining him on the, on the debt ceiling, on the budget bills, you know, um, just completely, completely messing him over, completely screwing him over. So I understand that. I agree with him. Here's the problem. Trump's own Treasury Secretary, Stephen Mnuchin, who he tapped as the point man on the debt ceiling, is not only not being an ambassador for Trump's supposed position on the on on the hill saying that we need to use the debt ceiling not to to 
raise the debt ceiling, to lower the debt floor, to deal with the debt, to deal with health care, which is the biggest driver of debt. Instead, Mnuchin is pressuring conservatives in Congress to give a blank check, to do what Chuck Schumer wants on the debt ceiling. So at the same time, I mean, it's funny, the, the comment that McConnell made that elicited that criticism from Trump when he was saying, oh, we're, we need to, we can't default, we have, we have to raise the debt ceiling. Guess where he made that comment? He made that comment at a press conference with Steven Mnuchin standing next to him saying the same thing. I mean, so, so this man is an utter joke. Unbelievable. I, I just don't even know how to explain this anymore. The man is all about himself. It is very clear. If you get in his... See, by the way, part of why he's suddenly going after Tillerson is not because, you know, Tillerson is, uh, you know, for refugees, he's for stupid foreign policy, he's pro-Palestinian. Nothing to do with that. It's all because Tillerson now crossed Trump personally when he was asked on a Sunday show, um, oh, you know, what do you think about Trump's views on Charlottesville? He said, well, Trump speaks for himself. Not for me. Now Trump's all ticked off at him. Well, look, you know, if it, if it takes something personal to get him to fire Tillerson, then so be it. But I just want you to guys to know, because a lot of conservatives seem to be very confused about Trump. They're still confused about him. Oh, well, is, is he this? Is he a nationalist? Is he this? He's nothing. It's all about him. But I digress. Let's go back to foreign policy. So, we're... We're owning Afghanistan. We're owning Afghanistan. We're doubling down on it. Now, I'm not going to go through the entire piece because I want to give you some new information. As you guys have read, um, you know, I have a piece why the Afghanistan strategy doesn't add up. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. Just came out today. Where it's really a long 1600 word essay explaining why the strategy is not what Trump spoke about. A lot of people I know, even though, like I said, my boss Mark Levin loved Trump's speech. But what the generals are implementing and what he signed on to is not what he spoke about. It is the exact opposite. And the very people that have broken Afghanistan, the people that Trump himself called out. You know, again, talk about Orwellian, talk about Animal Farm. I could not write an Animal Farm story, um, you know, with greater irony than what's taking place now. During the Commander-in-Chief Forum, Last, uh, what was it, September, it wasn't a debate, it was a forum with Hillary Clinton in the general election. Trump said one of the boldest things, and I know exactly who gave him this line, it was one of the people that was fired, um, said that the generals have been reduced to rubble, and that they've been reduced to a point where it's embarrassing our country. And people went nuts, oh my gosh, you're bashing the generals when you never served yourself. And he was right. They are a bunch of leftists that are pro-Muslim Brotherhood, they don't understand Islam, they don't understand what we're fighting, they couldn't give a damn about the lives of our soldiers. It's all about their their politics. Um, And they, 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 you know, a lot of people criticized Obama for the social engineering, the, you know, women in infantry, women pushing women to special ops, you name it. Um, And then the transgenderism, the anti-Christian stuff, the homosexual agenda, yada, yada. Guess who never pushed back against it? Guess who went along with it? And guess who who has now taken this to the next step and are now pushing back against Trump when he wants to reverse some of this? The generals. 
Mattis. Mattis was commander of CENTCOM at the worst moment in Afghanistan, 2010 to 2013. McMaster was at CENTCOM. Votel, who's now CENTCOM commander. Nicholson, who's now the Afghani, Afghan, the one in charge of the you know, broader NATO mission in Afghanistan. They were appointed by Obama. Dunford, the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Obama's Marine, he was this, um, you know, obviously the, the head of the Marines now. He's the Joint Chiefs of Staff chairman, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, I mean. And uh, he's, uh, he's pushing for the transgenderism. Mattis as well. See, a lot of people tell me, Daniel, you never served, so you don't know military strategy. Maybe I don't. But here's what I do know. When you start telling me that we need to have transgenderism in the military, forget about the values behind it. Forget about the mental illness. Just think about the logistical nightmare of implementation of something like that during a time of war. If that is your mindset, which is the mindset of all these generals, then I know you're wrong on strategy too. Then I know you're implementing the equivalent of a transgender strategy in the Middle East. Because that you can't tell me. See, that's where common sense and uh, eschewing groupthink comes into play. And that's why I started off saying that I think you just, you know, to kind of paraphrase Buckley here, to rip out the first 10 names in a phone book, you do a better job fighting for the country than these people. Because it's not random what they're thinking. You know, the telephone book is random. It is a concerted effort. It is, you have to subscribe to this posthumanist, politically correct, pagan god in order to be a general in, in, in today's military. Everyone else is left. So these guys are making us own Afghanistan. As I note in my piece, and I, I don't want to belabor it too much because I want to get to some other items in foreign policy, but it's the worst mix of combat in the deadliest way and nation building because you're training Afghani security forces while the Afghani government is negotiating with the Taliban. They know all your moves. They have to sign off on all your operations. You walk around with them on these precarious foot patrols where they could lead you into ambushes at any time. It's worse than ever. And this is what has gotten over a thousand of our soldiers killed in Afghanistan during that era when Mattis was in charge of CENTCOM. No one ever points that out. Now he's elevated to Secretary of Defense. But at the same time, we don't control the missions. So it's the worst, you know, don't think this isn't combat. Oh, it's hardcore combat with their hands tied behind their backs. See, a lot of people say, well, Trump's going to get rid of the uh, rules of engagement. First of all, that gets a little complicated because there's the American op and there's a NATO op. And I don't. I haven't seen any evidence yet that he could unilaterally waive the NATO ROEs unless, you know, he fight, fights for it, which is most of the mission. Most of the training is going to be with them. Maybe our special ops might not be governed by that. Um, that's number one. But number two, it doesn't speak to the issue. Rules of engagement aren't the problem here. Rules of engagement are a very big problem in general, the way we, you know, think military strategy. The problem is this is not a military operation. It is nation building. It, it, you, you could take away rules of engagement, but if we're training an unreliable and often compromised force to fight a mission that doesn't exist and that frankly doesn't affect our strategic interests, the rules of engagement don't speak to anything. 
So this this is just insane. But we're told by these, again, roughly call them neoconservatives or whatever, that we have to look for any possible outcome in any possible country in the Middle East where you could have a training ground for terrorists and we have to get involved in it. Because parsimoniously, it might affect our security interests. Yet at the same time, the things that directly affect our interests, we don't do. Now, what I mean by that is immigration. I've said this a number of times. 9-11 was a visa problem. It was an immigration problem. It was a Muslim Brotherhood problem. The pro- How do people hurt us? Conventionally, none of these people could hurt us. Look, they're all a problem. I wish Islam could go away. I wish the Middle East could go away. But what are we going to do? So every country is going to have some sort of terrorist presence because the people are like that. It's not the terrorists. And and, and again, in Afghanistan, more so than any other country, the Taliban are really a reflection of the people, of the Pashtuns there. Multiple versions of the Pashtuns, there's different warring tribes within them. can never put that together. The Taliban don't have the interest nor the wherewithal to affect us out of Afghanistan. And, and this is more, you know, more than any other terror group, Hezbollah, which we're going to get to in a minute. They, they have operatives. They're stronger than ever in, in, in America. They have operatives in America. They have operatives in the Western Hemisphere. They're flush with cash, now more so because of the Iran payoff that Trump is, ref- is still continuing. But the Taliban didn't... They just gave they, – they allow – because it's a lawless area, they allowed the al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda to train there. And, and like I said before, I don't mind the retribution. Okay, you harbored them. You didn't give them up. We punish you. We'll bomb you. But to own it for 17 years and now have, based on this plan, it's going to be another 100 years. John McCain at least was honest, said 100 years. And it's not 100. It's indefinite obviously because you can never win that. 100 years. For what? For what? We can never, we can't do anything. There's no play to be made there. They don't threaten us. You could threaten us with either if you have a Navy, you have an Air Force, or ICBMs that could reach us. Now, if we see training camps starting up, again, we leave our Bagram Air Base there. You do counterterrorism when you need it from standing outside the box. Don't go in it in the precarious, trying to hold ground in the villages, the mountains, and the deserts, and go on foot patrols where you could be shot in the back of the head where we have all these casualties. No, you come in and come out and do your business. You lob some cruise missiles at a training camp if you see it. But this is not 2001. The problems we face are Iran and North Korea because they do have, in the case of Iran, they took our ship. They, t- they captured a, over a dozen of our, of our sailors, and we did nothing. They've attacked us since 1979 over and over again, and we've done nothing. So suddenly we don't have the resources or resolve to fight them because we're flushed doing all this nonsense. And not only that, we're actually helping Iran. We're helping them. So I want, I want to go through a couple of items that we're doing in the Middle East. Recently, we've taken um, a whole other area of Anbar through our air, air, bomb, our air raids on, on ISIS. We've taken it on behalf of the Shiite militias. The, the U.S. commander on the ground there, I believe he's a two-star general, trying to remember exactly what his name is here. Um, 
it, 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 whatever, it will come to me. And maybe, maybe we'll put it in show notes here, just trying to see where this is. But Two Star General, he was saying that, yeah, you know, you're right. We are kind of helping, indirectly helping the Shia militias, the Hezbollah brigades, the IRGC, directly on the ground, conducting the um, operations against ISIS, but so be it. Okay. You could not pay us to do what we're doing for Iran. We gave them Iraq. We handed them Iraq. Now we're handing them Syria. And we're handing them Lebanon. They have a corridor directly straight from Iran to the Mediterranean. And they're surrounding Israel now through Lebanon and the western and the um, Syrian Golan to Israel's east, northeast, preparing for war against them. Because of our because of our involvement there. I was one of the few people when people were like, oh my gosh, ISIS, I'm so scared. We got it. ISIS, ISIS, ISIS. You know, I was the only one talking about that, that, that it was overblown. The problem with ISIS, again, it was an immigration problem because we let people into our country. So getting involved in the Syrian dumpster fire doesn't address that. It's only going to tip the hands to another bad player, and they're going to benefit from our hardware, our soldiers, our special ops. And sometimes their lives and treasure. Terrorism at its core is not a military problem. It's an immigration problem. It's a Muslim Brotherhood problem. It's intel. It's the FBI, Homeland Security. That's the front line. You know, you got to stop letting them in. And then the ones we unfortunately let in already, you use the constitutional tools you have. Um, the ones that aren't citizens, if they're causing problems, you throw them out. Um you know, anyone engaging in treason, you try them for treason. You have to surveil su- surveil mosques and uh, break up their networks. It's a homeland security problem. It's not a military. It's frustrating. It's frustrating that we committed suicide through self-immolation over the last three decades. But if we don't want to become like Europe, that's what you need to do. But ISIS, what happened was I was saying Look, ISIS is terrible, but they're all terrible. And to the extent that they threaten the Yazidis or whatever, we could evacuate them. I didn't mind taking in Yazidi refugees, but we barely did. Um, we took in Muslim refugees. Um, it's, you know, you want to create a safe zone within Kurdistan for them. I'm fine with that. But to go and have the mission of destroying ISIS in a vacuum, all you're doing is handing it to Iran. If anything, ISIS was giving them a run for their money, they would have had to deal with it. We, Iran is laughing all the way to the bank because they never had to deal with ISIS. ISIS was on their doorstep, pushing on to Baghdad. That was their problem. Baghdad's a client state. But instead, we're bleeding for them. That's what we're doing. At the same time, so we're fighting for the, Af- the Afghani army, which is responsible for so many attacks deaths of our military we're fighting for the shia militias we're, we're bailing them out of isis that have been responsible by some estimates over a thousand fatalities and god knows the number of lost limbs they're the ones that planted all these ieds throughout the baghdad area all over iraq really during the you know whole whatever 2003 to 2000 2004 to 2007 um insurgency we're bailing them out. What are we doing? The generals have no strategic plan in mind. 
that's why I say you can't view everything in a vacuum. That's number one. Number two, we're cutting off $290 million in aid to Sisi in Egypt because we're worried about his humanitarian issues. Th- this is Tillerson here. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm not a big fan of foreign aid. It's of constitutional dubious. It's na- it's it's constitutional soundness is very dubious. Put it that way. But if you're gonna have it, man, I mean, e- Sissy is the government you need to prop up. Talk about investments. We're flushing trillions of dollars and lives and and crushing our military in these demoralizing Vietnams in, in with no strategic outcome other than helping our enemies in Afghanistan, Syria, and, and Iraq. Yet, talk about a risk versus a return matrix, just a little bit of money to give to Sissy, give him targets, give him support. He's killing more terrorists than anyone else. And we're concerned about humanitarian? What about the Afghani government's humanitarian problems? This is, this is Obama administration redux. That's number two. Number three, Jared and Greenblatt are in Israel pushing the peace process. Really? I mean, these are these are strong plays we can make that would signal to allies, people on the fence, and our enemies in the Middle East at, at, at such a little cost or no cost, simply not self-immolating, where we stand as a country in the Middle East. Making the right choices, making the right alliances, using the right soft power. It will do so much more than what we're doing in these dumpster fires. Imagine if we said, no, we're all with sissy. Sissy is, is, the, is the example of what we can't and will never be able to do in Afghanistan. Actually have an ally that put together a country fighting the Muslim Brotherhood, fighting ISIS, fighting all of them, and we dump on him. If we held him up as an example, that would push a lot of you know, countries and groups kind of on the fence towards our side. And we wouldn't have to do much. But but there you go, PLO. Oh, another thing. I'll, I'll put this in show notes. Um, but Jordan Schachter, our uh, foreign policy uh, correspondent, he was he wrote an article last week about UNRWA. That Nikki Haley, despite the fact that she's pro-Israel, but she's obsessed with refugees to the point that she refuses to co- push to cut off a single penny of the three hundred million dollars a year we give to. UNRWA, which is a pro-Hamas outlet. It's literally a Hamas front group. I mean, they've helped in the past in in a lot of the wars in Gaza. They've helped in the past harbor terrorists there. In schools, of course. Schools, hospitals. Um, They contribute to the curricula in in the Palestinian Authority that that preaches hate and violence. So we're cutting off aid to Sisi, doubling down on billions, billions every year being sent to Afghanistan. I mean, the amount of money we could spend on building up Houston after what happened, the amount of money we could spend building um, missile defense to deal with the true threat we have, which is ICBMs, because that could hit us from North Korea and soon Iran because of what we're doing. No. Flushing it down there and giving money to UNRWA. Number four. Number four. Turkey. The same week that they announced that we're going to kiss up to Afghanistan, Mattis goes to Turkey, meets, meets with Prime Minister Erdogan, 
and pledges support against the PKK, against the Kurds. So you have the Kurds are everything that the Afghanis are not. Stable, homogenous, pro-West. And we go to Turkey. Erdogan is the enemy. You want to talk about what we're fighting? Oh, Daniel, we have to we have to get involved in these civil wars because if we don't fight them there, they'll fight us here, even though they'll only come here through immigration and the same people who support putting our boots on the ground there, support put, putting putting their boots on our ground. But that's a different story. Erdogan is the chief Islamo-fascist. He's the most dangerous guy because that's unlike Afghanistan where there's no money, there's no infrastructure. He has the money. Um the organization, he is supplying all the Sunni insurrection. He's the Muslim Brotherhood leader. But at the same time, even though he's the Sunni leader, ironically, along with Qatar, Turkey and Qatar are forging close ties to Iran. So the, the Muslim Brotherhood slash Hamas slash Turkey sit at the nexus between the Sunni and, and Shia threats to, to global stability, to our interests. And we're allying with him. Meaning, here, it doesn't cost you anything. We say, Erdogan, you are an enemy. Whole, threaten to cut them out of, out, out of NATO. You know, Trump bashes NATO all the time. But the worst element of NATO, which is Turkey's membership in NATO, he doesn't talk about. It, and in fact, he becomes an ally of Erdogan. It makes no sense. We dump on the Kurds. We dump on Sisi, but yet we have our military go out and bleed for the Hezbollah brigades in, in Iran, the IRGC, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard that attacked us, that took our soldiers, that, that have, has been attacking us since 1979, that is responsible for over a, 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 a thousand of, of our soldiers blown up from IEDs and the corrupt Afghani government. That's what we're fighting for. You could not possibly conjure up a more immoral and dyslexic foreign policy than the one that has been promoted by the civilian and military leadership over the last decade and and unfortunately continued by the Trump administration. This is truly, truly sick. But but now now I ran. I mean, and, and the thing is, it doesn't take much to do this. You 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 stop the Iran deal. Okay. You, by the way, oh, also we're giving we're giving weapons to the Lebanese military, which is now Hezbollah. They are Hezbollah. We're literally helping Iran in every theater imaginable. We're helping them in Lebanon. We're helping them in Syria. We're helping them in Iraq. And meanwhile, we're bogged down while helping them being bogged down because we're the ones fighting ISIS for them, and ISIS is almost completely destroyed, which is another story. I mean, why are we doing that? I know it sounds a little bit funny to say, like, I'm against destroying ISIS, but, I mean, the, the, the balance of power has tipped so much that it, I mean, it, Iran's the problem now. If anything, you want to keep a, a, a po- pockets of them because they'll give Iran a run for their money. You know, which is why when people say, you know, oh, we have to be in Afghanistan because ISIS now has a presence in the eastern corner there. Well, on the other hand, you're telling me we can't allow the Taliban to take Kabul, which I don't see what would what's really different from what's happening now anyway. But actually, if you're worried about the Taliban, I mean, then it's better to also have ISIS there so they'll fight each other rather than have Taliban, you know, have, have free reign. Again, not that they can really do anything to us anyway. But um, it, it, it's nuts. 
You know, Iran's now building nuclear facilities um, right within range of, of Israel and Syria. We, we enabled that for them. We basically bought it for them. For free. I, I, I just, I can't believe what we're doing. It doesn't cost anything to say, we are done with the Palestinians. We're going to support the Kurds. We're going to support Sisi. Saudi Arabia, are you with us or against us? That sends a very strong signal to them. Qatar and Turkey, you're out. We're going to treat you like enemies. Financially, alliance-wise, you're out. End the Iran deal. And then finally, you come back home and worry about homeland security where where ultimately the problem lies. (laughs) The problem is... Again, immigration is the first thing, but then the ones already here, it's it's a Muslim Brotherhood problem. It's a subversion problem. We have that on our own soil. We're we're saying that we have to get our guys involved, our our troops involved in these caves in Afghanistan because somehow that will have bearings on our national security. While we have people like Mustafa Ali, Mustafa Ali, from what I hear, is sitting in the room. With McMaster, I don't, I'm not sure if he's officially working with him, but I heard, and it's credible enough that I, I'm willing to say it, I've heard a rumor that when Israeli defense officials were in town, maybe it was two weeks ago, I believe, they refused to discuss Hezbollah with McMaster because Mustafa Ali was in the room, and they suspect he has them on speed dial. So we have people in our government at the highest levels of FBI, DHS, um, NSC with Hamas and Hezbollah on speed dial. And they have networks in this country, and yet you're telling me, oh my gosh, we can't allow the Taliban to get the remaining half of the country that they're on the way to getting anyway. And the Afghani government we're fighting for is infiltrated with them, working with them, and they're going to get it anyway. And the Taliban have no, they're a bunch of mud hut munchkins that literally can't, I mean, there's nothing for them to, there's no money there. They're just a reflection of the people. I'm not sounding like a pacifist here. Like, oh, you know, we're bothering them. No, they're horrible people. Like, what do you want? But like, what do you want us to do about it? There's some sort of official terrorist organization in 50 of these countries. So are we supposed to get involved in all 50? Now, what we should be doing is not having immigration from any country with a terrorist presence. I mean, that's that's the real issue. That's the only way they could hurt you. So, But instead, we let them in. And by the way, because of the wars, we've brought in 140,000, 150,000, I think, refugees from Iraq since last decade. We bring in several thousand. We just brought in a few more. It was um, provided for in the omnibus bill in April. 4,000 more special immigrant visas from Afghanistan. Bill, the, the translators. Oh, how? And, and you, you see all these sanctimonious uh, Washington Post op-eds about we're not doing enough for the people that helped us in Afghanistan. What do you mean helped us? We're helping them. And look, you know, sometimes they are reliable, but many times they're not. And then the point is they come in and they bring their entire families and history has shown that they are the problem. I mean, they're kids. I mean, even if the parents aren't a problem, the kids are a problem. When are, when are we going to realize this? But yet we have a military leadership, and now some of that military leadership has been elevated to the civilian leadership that literally doesn't get Islam. 
all they care about is castration in the military, women in infantry. So you're going to send the female Amazon brigade of Navy SEALs, pregnant female Navy SEALs, and transgender brigades to go and fight the Taliban in Afghanistan while bringing in the Middle East to our country. That's East. This is what I mean by the fact that the first 10 names in a telephone book could have a better foreign policy, identify our strategic interests more accurately, and then when we actually do have strategic interests, fight those wars more effectively than these bankrupt generals. We're about out of time here. A lot more to talk about, a lot more to follow up. We're getting very close to next week where you know all hell breaks loose, tons of domestic policy issues we're going to cover. Um, make conservative review your, your, your one-stop shop, CRTV. And also, I'm, I really mean this, you got to go to preparewithcr.com. Our buddies at Patriot Supply, this is no joke. I, I told you before, you know, I don't advertise for any anything I don't believe in. I'm not one of these survivalists that, oh, you know, every the world's, con- you know, all hell is breaking loose. It's just that there are catastrophes and they're unexpected. That's the thing. And, you know, even here, they didn't know how bad it was until a few days before. And then it's too late. Stores are out of food. It's chaos. Why not have a four-week survival food supply? Just four weeks. I don't think you need, you know, stock ops and these people have these caves <laughs> Four-week survival food supply for just 99 bucks, 140 delicious meals, up to 25-year shelf life. Um, really good stuff. We've gotten very good feedback on that. Uh, looks looks delicious. I'm looking at the page right now, preparewithcr.com. Uh, there's possibly another tropical storm, Irma, coming up the Carolina coast. And, you know, it's only a tropical storm, but they could dump, dump a tremendous amount of rains, create flooding, as we've seen. Um, we are headed into the heart of of hurricane season in September. So this is really a large swath of the country. Who knows what could happen? Also, if Antifa comes to your your town and your your mayor gives them space to destroy like my mayor, you might not want to venture out um, even if you need food. So prepare with CR.com. And you know, if you are looking for a survival kit, well, why not support one? that supports conservative review, that shares your values. God bless you all. Thanks for listening. Till next time, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.